not only the song, but I love the DVD or the clip that goes with it. Because it just really gives a portrayal of that moment when the saviour of the world, you know, our, our redeemer, that moment when Jesus stepped into humanity, that moment that he left glory, he left heaven, he left everything that he had always known, and he stepped into time, he stepped into our environment. And it was the humble dwellings, the humble dwellings of the stable, the humble dwellings of, you know, it wasn't the palace, it wasn't, it was, it was normality. In fact, it was worse than normality, it was the smell of a stable and the only place that was left. And I look at that and I think, for every one of us, he may have been our last hope. He may have been our, our last cry, that last turn for help. But he's always there. He's always there for us. And I just, the whole picture of, of, of the Christmas story and, and, and what it really means, you know, for, for us who are in the room, it's, this, is, this is Christmas. It's Christ Mass. It is remembering who Jesus was as a baby and who he grew up to be. Um, the world may celebrate it in a very different way. Um, and in some senses, I'm thankful that they do because it means that we can still do Christmas and it impacts our world. In other parts, I think, no, the lie of what Christmas is celebrated today takes away from what we do. But the bottom line is, we can still preach Christ born, lived, died, rose again. And that is the story of Christmas. During the time that Jesus was born, we know that the, the, the Israel was under Roman occupation. It was a time of real oppression. It was a time where they had overcome their nation and they were occupying Israel. It was a time of difficulty. It was a time when there was such uncertainty. And I guess in many senses we live in a day and age where there are so many uncertainties today. But for them back then, there was occupation. There was new rules and new ways in which they had to to live by. There were new taxes that were enforced upon them. And there was, a, there was a struggle that was going on in their lives. You know, would that have been the time, if I was God, to say, right, let's just send Jesus into a really difficult moment in history? But we know that God is outside of our chronos, our time that we look on our watch. And he is a God of kairos, moments of happening in our world, sudden moments, times of significance and, and, and specific events. And in this moment of, of distra distraction and, and pressure that was on the children of Israel, the Jewish nation, there came a but moment in their life. A but God, a but he had a plan. And I love the but moments in our world and especially through the Bible, because suddenly you can look at life and say, oh, everything's going wrong, but God. I may be sick, but God. I may be under pressure, 
but God. And in, in this moment, when Israel is, is looking for the Messiah, they're looking for the one who was to come and to relieve them from the pressure of occupation. God says, I have a but moment in this time. And if you look in the Bible in Galatians chapter 4, we see this but <laughs> moment revealed to us. And in Galatians 4 verse 4 it says this, But when the fullness of time had come. In other words, when God was looking at his calendar, when God was looking at his watch, when God was looking at the accounts that were happening, he says, this is the moment. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, and born under the law. The right time had come. You know, any, any mother who's carried a child will know that there is a but moment. When the husband turns around and says, do you think we could wait a while because I don't want to be hanging around in hospital, there comes a but moment we need to get there. But I'm not hanging around any longer. You know, Josh is, it was a but moment. Um, <laughs> we, that doesn't sound very good, does it? <laughs> Try and rephrase that. I think um, there was a moment we we had a. So Josh was our number fourth child. The other three were born on the hospital table, and we were believing God for a miracle. And there came a but moment where God said, "It's going to happen." And we woke up. I was meant to be preaching that morning. I believe. And it's six o'clock in the morning, Jane said, I don't think you'll be preaching this morning, phone Alan. <laughs> well, I didn't have a phone, we didn't have mobiles, we didn't have a house phone, we were poor, remember? So I ran to the, uh, to the um, telephone box, that was out of order, some band were broken it. I ran to the next telephone box and phoned Alan, can't come in, I'm, I'm not preaching this morning, Jane had a baby. We had a butt moment, you know, there was nothing that was gonna change that. From that moment, baby was on its way. I got back to the house and she said, phone for an ambulance. So I, <laughs> I thought, I'm not running back to I'm not running back to that phone box. It's about a mile away. So I ran to the next door neighbour and, and, and I said, uh, we need an ambulance, phone for the ambulance. And then I heard bang, bang, bang on the wall. I thought, I'd better get back. There was nothing that was stopping that baby from arriving. And I delivered baby Josh on the sofa, on my own, having never seen a baby being born before. It was a, it was a moment to remember. But you know what? That was the fullness of time. There was nothing that was going to stop Josh arriving. He was arriving. Sit down, my dear. Quick. There was nothing was stopping. And that was what happened here. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. It was at the right moment, at the right time. Do you remember there is such a thing, they changed it now, as before Christ or BC and AD, Anna, Domini, wherever it is. They changed it now. Why? Because BC meant before Christ. How this society is trying to eradicate Christ from our vocabulary and from this world around us. 
But actually, BC means before Christ. And in the fullness of time, Jesus was born. And then we have after, or BC, uh, AD, because Jesus was born in the fullness of time, at the right moment, in the right season, in God's perfect time. Do you know what? You were born at the right time. Over the years, I've wondered, should I have been born back in the nights in shining armor? And I would have loved those days, I think. In my own little memory. You know, and there's others that say, oh, I should have been born then, and I should have been born then. And if all this had gone on in my life, I wish I was born in another family. No, you were born at the right place, at the right time, because God has a purpose for you. And God had a purpose for Jesus here, because he arrived at the right time. As Christians, we, we call this the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ. When he was born of a virgin, he was born into this world. He, he didn't miraculously appear because then he wouldn't be fully man and fully God. But he was born of a virgin. His arrival was the most joyful news the world had ever heard. So much so, the lowly shepherds on the hills of Bethlehem went around. When they heard the news and then they saw the baby they then left the stable and went out declaring to all the good news that the Christ had been born. How that same message needs to be on our lips today. Because the world around these shepherds would maybe have never have heard of the good news that Jesus had been born if someone hadn't gone and told them. We have that same responsibility today. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is on our lips and that we're constantly sharing the love of God with those that are around us. I love through the historical writings of Matthew and Luke that we see them penning down and writing of, of the events of that first Christmas. You know, Mark doesn't and, and John doesn't, but Matthew and Luke, they both speak about the journey and the life and the birth and the visitation of the shepherds and, the, and, and the, the wise men and all that took place. But you know what? Many years before the Gospels were written, men of old, prophets, you know, there's somebody in the room who spoke out before the World Cup that there would be an Argentina-France World Cup final. I'm not saying they're a prophet, they just know football really well. <laughs> If they get it right again, maybe, maybe there's more to this than meets the eye. Who's, let me know who wins the final, okay? <laughs> anyway, joking aside. But before Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, prophets of old were speaking of the coming of the Messiah with such accuracy that 350 um, statements from different men and women were spoken before Jesus was born. 300. Can you imagine? That's equivalent, if I can remember, is one to the power of 157. So that you got one in 157 zeros. From what I can gather, that's equivalent to having, I'll use the American analogy, um, 
15 American coins, sorry, an American coin, and having them five deep throughout the whole of Texas. You imagine five deep over the whole of Texas, and then you send the blind man out, and he picks up the right coin the first time. That is the equivalent to the ability of all 350. I think that is actually, that was 42 of those coming true. 42. But he fulfilled 350. Can you imagine, statistically, five coins deep, the whole of Texas, we fit into a tiny little portion of Texas as a nation. And then you send the blind man out and he picks up the right coin in the first attempt. That's the chances of all of these prophets getting it right. But when God speaks, the fullness of time comes. When, see, in our lives right now, when God speaks, there is a fullness of time. When God speaks, there is a God moment. There is a God interjection. There is a God healing. There is a God moment in our lives. And these men, Isaiah, Micah, and you go through Joel, and many others were speaking these words. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, is one of the most, you know, the most Christmassy of Old Testament scriptures. It says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's our Jesus, the baby born in a manger, who grew into the adult, the son, the living God. Everything about Christmas is centered around the baby. Why? Because it's all about this moment. But the heart of Christmas reveals the heart of God and his love for us. See, it's, it's so easy to think about the baby in the manger, but it's actually the heart of God that says this will be the plan. Christmas is about the heart of God. Because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That's the heart of God. It's the heart of God for you as an individual and me as an individual. It's about his heart for the whole world. This message of Christmas isn't just about the baby. It's about the heart of the Father. And I want you to really get that this Christmas. As you walk through your day and the busyness of your week and all the rest of it, remember the heart of the Father so loves you that he sent his son. Yes, it's a baby. Yes, into this world. But it's his heart for us. It's his love that drove him to go beyond human compassion, to go beyond human comprehension. And I say, I'm going to give you my best, my best gift to you. And Christmas, we're not just celebrating a birth. We're celebrating a heart. And I think that's so key. See, the events of, of, of Christmas 2,000 years ago, or that first moment when Jesus was born in the city of Babel. It not only affected the world then, it's still affecting our world today. 
It's not just affected the shepherds then. It is affecting yours and my life as we draw on him, as we look into his word and we say, I trust, I know that what your word says is exactly what you said back then, but it means the same for me today. The birth of Jesus isn't a myth or a legend. It's not just a great story that was told and handed down through the generations, but it was the master plan of God to bring redemption and a changed life to every single one of us. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, many things were said concerning the promised one, God's Son, the Messiah, Christ the Lord, the Saviour of the world. According to the Chairman of Mathematics and Astron Astronomy Departments at the Pasadena City College, this is what the Dean says. The fulfillment of biblical prophecy in the life of Jesus proves cons conclusively that he was truly God in the flesh. It also proves that the Bible is supernatural in origin. I love it when science turns around and says, what you hear, what you see, and what you read is true. I don't need that to happen, but it's great when it does. It's great when science, without the bias of this world, turns around and says, that must be God. Because it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe in a creator. That's the wonder of the God in whom we serve. I want us to look at just one prophecy that was spoken. And it's found in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. And it says this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephratah, are you only a small village among all the people of Judah? Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origin are, origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. Yet when you look at Micah, it's just a tiny little book, just called a minor prophet. In some senses, some would say perhaps insignificant, but no, not when it comes to speaking of the Messiah who is yet to come. He was, he was speaking out the exact destination. Can you imagine someone today saying, I reckon in 400 years, this baby would be born in this place on this day. And that's not the place where they're living or the, the region in which they are still. The accuracy is amazing. And this is where it was fulfilled in Luke 2, verse 4. And it says, and because Joseph was a descendant descendant of King David. He had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He travelled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth, and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available to them. Why did Joseph leave Galilee to go to Bethlehem? 
Why take Mary, his betrothed, heavily pregnant on a 90-mile journey on the back of a donkey? I don't know about as I was looking into this this week, they reckon that Joseph waited to the very last moment to be able to take Mary on this journey. The reason being is because in those days, many mothers would lose children in the earlier stages of pregnancy than they do these days. And they would have waited to the very last moment before going so that the long journey wouldn't cause any maternal issues and therefore he had to wait for the last moment and it was in the probably the last week of her pregnancy. Can you imagine, you ladies, what that would have been like on the back of a donkey for five or six days? Very unpleasant, very concerning. Will we get there, Joseph? Have you got your timing correct? I can imagine, I can imagine. Are you sure we shouldn't have left yesterday? <laughs> over and over again, questioning the journey. But we know historically that Augusta, or Caesar Augusta, he said there will be a census. There will be a registering of all the people in the known world. And you have to leave and register in the birthplace. You know, that's historic. It's not, it's not just written in the Bible. It's written in the history and annals of, of time. Here we have the moment that caused him to leave his home and say, oh dear, we're going to have to go back to my hometown. Why did he call a census at that point? Because it was the fullness of time. Why did Joseph take his heavily pregnant wife to be with him? Because it was the fullness of time. He had to be born in a specific place at a specific time to fulfill a specific scripture that had been spoken 400 years ago. And everything collided together. He makes all things work together for the good of those who love him and accord according to his purposes. God is the orchestrator. He's the one who's the, who's the um, what's the guy who stands out front of the band? Conductor, yeah, thank you. He's, he's conducting our life. We just need to submit to the conductor. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, but yours be done. And follow the purposes of God in our life. And here, everything is coming together. The decree, the, the census, all that's taking place. And David returning to his hometown to be registered in the city of David. We, Joe, did I say David? In this, Joseph in the city of David. There we go. So what we, we, what we know is of the story, we've heard it, I've preached it. I've preached Christmas messages now for 25 years or more. And you think, how can you keep on coming up with a new idea? It's so unique. The Christmas events are so unique. And there's so many angles to go in. But we know the basis of the story. We know it's a long journey. We know that Mary is tired and desperate. We know she's about to give birth. The journey's long and it's difficult. I looked at the, I went on Google Earth. This is how I do my research. I went on Google Earth uh, between 
um, Galilee, where Joseph was, to um, Bethlehem in Judea. And I, I, I looked through that journey. And there are pits and troughs and valleys, um, numerous that they would have to journey through, um, up to 200 meters high. And you think, that is, that's some journey to do. Um, I, I encourage you, go, go, go on Google Earth and, and do the journey yourself. It's quite impressive when you see where they went and, and how potentially they went. But finally they arrive in the city of David, in Bethlehem. And the place is buzzing. As, you, as we saw on, on, the, on the movie clip earlier, you see that moment of desperation as Joseph is going from door to door and he's asking, not for himself, but for his wife who's about to give birth. He's desperately seeking a place for her. And I love that moment. He just scoops her off the back of the donkey and he goes running from door to door and he goes running to that place where it was prepared for him. There was no room. There was no room. Do you know what? There was no room. That should never be something that he finds in our heart. There should never be something where he walks through the corridor of our life and he says, there's no room. They don't allow enough room. They fill their time with Netflix and YouTube and whatever else, but there's no room for me. Let that not be your heart. Whether it's this Christmas or this year, let that not be your heart where there's no room. <laughs> so the inns are packed and there's no room. Joseph is desperately running around. And as the events unfold, the only place left is a stable, a cave with a light, with the animals. Cold, possibly damp, smelly, absolutely. We know that the animals are in there as we sing the song away in the manger. The cattle alone, we know that they're there. The animals are in the room. And there's Joseph and Mary. In that moment when Christ, the Messiah, is born. I, I, I absolutely love the, the story of the nativity. I absolutely love this picture. And if you've never got, if you've never had seen this movie, we we're, were going to play it this Christmas. Um, I'd encourage you to go and buy it and just watch it every Christmas. It's called the nativity. It's not the stupid one. It's the real one. All right, just just so you get the right nativity. You go and book. Oh, Pastor Chef said the nativity. You go and get the stupid one. Well, go and get go and get the genuine. Because to me, it's like, as, as Sally was singing the song and as I've been listening to it over this last week, I, I've, I've been moved to tears over and over again. Because this is what Jesus was prepared to do for me. In fact, this is what my Father in heaven was willing to do for me. Because it's a heart. And the reason he did it is because he wanted a relationship with us, his people. He sent his son into the world to live and to die. It wasn't, the, the, it wasn't just to be born. He was born on purpose 
because Jesus lived a perfect life. He did not sin. He was tempted in every way, but did not succumb to sin. He lived this life in perfect union with God. And he died upon a cross to ultimately take my wrong, the things that I've said, the things where I've behaved wrong. He took my sin upon himself because I could never have paid the price. But God loved me that much that he sent his son to step into my world and to die in my place so that I could live for him. You couldn't make it up. There's not not a, a movie out there that could make this up. Because this is true. Jesus came preaching grace and truth. Grace and truth. And I just really, for every one of us in this room, have we become so familiar with our salvation? Have we become so familiar with the Christmas story? Have we become so familiar with our salvation that it doesn't mean what it's been to our lives? question that I want to leave with you this morning. Jesus was God's priceless gift to all who would receive it. The key is many of us in this room, most in this room, have received it. But what have we done with that gift of salvation? What are we doing with the gift of salvation? Are we sharing this incredible gift with those around us? Are we sharing that love? Are we sharing that story of of Christmas, of Christ in us? Is he our everything? For me to live is Christ. For me to live in a Christ-like way. Jesus was God's priceless gift to all who would receive it. See, a gift is not a gift if it's earned. That's payment. A gift is not a gift if we work for it. That's wages. But a gift is a gift that is given and received. Now, I've got a gift here this morning. That I'm going to give to somebody. See, they say good things come in small packages. I'm sorry, but that's not the one. Anyway, controversial. I'm not going to be controversial. 
Oh, I've got a gift I'd like to give. This gift could potentially change a life, a marriage, a future, and a family. I know that because I wrapped it this morning. As you can tell. I tried hard with the ribbon. Anyway. So, a gift is not a gift if it's earned. A gift is not a gift if you work for it. But a gift is a gift if it's received. See, like with any gift, I guess, you can receive it and then you just put it on the side and never do anything with it. You don't use it. How frustrating for you ladies when you buy your, your husband, partner, whatever, a, 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 a parent tool. Because you want to put the you want him to put the shelves up, and you buy him a gift, and he leaves it in a box, and it's never. That's the same. I guess it's the same with the Bible, God's gift to us. But it's also going to be the same with this gift. It is left on the side. It doesn't have the impact. But if we embrace it and put it in our lives, it could change our life forever.
or they were spoken to the shepherds on the hillside of Bethlehem. This is what the angel said. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid to give your life to Jesus. For those of you who are Christians and have walked with God for many years, don't be afraid to go deeper. Don't be afraid to become more passionate. Don't be afraid to cause those around you to think, the guy's gone nuts. Because passion for Christ will change your life forever. Do not be afraid, for I am bringing you good news. Remember, as a Christian, you have the greatest news the world has ever heard. You have that in your possession. You have that good news in your life. The greatest joy. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Don't keep what God wanted us to share. Don't keep it in your heart. Share it with everybody else. To you is born this day in the city of David a saviour who is the Messiah, the Lord. The word Lord is Adonai, our master. A saviour, Christ, the anointed one, and our master. If you've never asked Jesus into your life, if you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart, if you've never asked him to forgive you of your sin, then why not today receive the greatest gift of all? Not a present as in this, but the gift of heaven, of God's heart for you. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer, and then we're going to go out with a song of filling the ministries. going to pray a very simple prayer. I prayed this, I guess, as a, I, I, first of all, I prayed this as a seven-year-old, eight-year-old boy at a Dick Saunders crusade. There were 5,000 people in the room. And I, I suddenly was convicted by the Holy Spirit that I had done things wrong as an eight-year-old, stealing cookies, lying to my parents, living a long little child's life but I knew at that moment I needed Jesus in my heart and I prayed the sinner's prayer I prayed that prayer that day I then grew up as a teenager and I got baptized at 16 but I really didn't know what I was doing and I just went through the motions of doing something because I felt it was the right thing to do then there came a moment when I was in my 20s and the Holy Spirit touched my life in such a way. Many of you know my journey and my story. I wanted to blow kneecaps off of drug dealers. I had a gun. I had all these crazy things going on in my life. I was messed up in my head because of the journey of my young life. I was totally messed up. Well, I walked into a church looking for a young lady who I found my wife. But I walked into a church to find a nice young lady. And God got a hold of me and totally changed my life. During the next couple of years, I got so on fire for God that he literally just set my heart on fire for him. Old things passed away and behold, all things became new. 
I wasn't a finished deal back then and for the next 25 years God is still working on my heart but there is a zeal and a passion for his house and for him that just drives me, presses me, pushes me, causes me to lean into him more and more over and over again because I love him and because I know he loves me. So I'm going to pray this prayer today. I'm going to ask everybody if you would join me in praying it because there may be just one person, there may be many who say today I'm going to, I'm going to give my life Jesus, and I'm going to ask him into my heart. So let's just pray together this morning. Jesus, I thank you that you came as a baby, as the saviour of the world, that you lived on this earth, and you died in my place. Jesus, you took my sin, you took my wrongs, when you died upon the cross. Today, Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. And I thank you that you give me new life. And I receive that now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every head is bowed and every eye closed in this room. This is about you doing business with God. This is about you and you receiving what God's love and his heart for you truly is. I'm just going to ask in this quiet moment on this carol service Sunday whether you want to receive him in your heart. I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask you simply just to pop up your hand and then pop it back down. We won't call anybody out the front. We don't want to embarrass anybody. But we do have a Bible and a couple of other things that we'd like to pass over to you. So if you prayed that prayer and you prayed it sincerely in your heart this morning, would you pop up your hand? One, two, three. If that's you, just pop up your hand right now. You prayed that prayer sincerely in your heart today. Thank you, I see that hand. Anybody else? You say, yes, that's me. I want to be real with God. I want this journey to be a real journey. A real one. But I know his heart for me. Is there anybody else in this room who say, yeah, that's me? I'm going to count down from five. Five, four, three, two, one. Father, I pray for everyone that's in this room. I pray, Father, that our eyes will be open, Holy Spirit. That the eyes of our understanding will be open. Help us. Help us, Lord God, I pray, to see you more and more. Lord, that you would illuminate our heart to see you in all your wonder and splendor and, and greatness and glory, Father, that we would encounter that love over and over again in our heart. Father, I pray that today will be a day where we say we have the gift of life. We have the gift of righteousness. We have the gift of redemption. We have the gift of heaven living on the inside. And Father, as your presence fills us, 
Lord, let us live our lives so full on for you. Not half-hearted, but full-hearted for you. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen.